Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. I think finally defrosted from his trip back from Buffalo for that Dolphins playoff game. Dre, how are you? Wait, they're still de-icing me, just like the plane. They're like, they're like they're spraying all that stuff. And yeah, 50 degrees warmer. That's how I'm doing. I mean, I, I will say this, though, for all, for all the jokes we make about going up to, to uh, the U.S.'s version of Siberia and Buffalo and all that stuff. We actually caught a pretty good window this weekend to go up there because it was, yes, it was 22 degrees and all of that, but it looked at least if you were inside and watching that and, and seeing the game through the press box glass, you would have thought you were in Miami from the, when you looked up. I mean, there was barely a cloud in the sky. It was sunny. It was nice. It's just, then you step outside and it's a meat locker. It was like 22, like I said, 22 degrees, but the, but the, like you, are the one that went yeah. through Siberia a few, a few from weeks what ago. I went through about, about a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> right. When, when I'm looking at you and you look like Jon Snow with the snow in your beard, in your, in your facial hair there, all, all that stuff, you know, with the little hoodie. Yeah. You went through the worst of it for sure. This was, this wasn't that bad when it comes to that. And it turned out to be a great game, even though they lost and, and within one play or two from being one really remarkable upset. Yeah, but now the shift gears to what we're on this episode about. Right. Lots to talk about after over from this past week or so since <laughs> last time I was on here. Uh, Marlins made a bunch of moves. We talked about Gene Segura's exclusively yeah, 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 what, last what, week. What's, what's, what's happened in the past like month and a half that I, or two months? I, I feel like I haven't been on this pod forever, literally since last year. But anything happened while I was gone? Well, finally, over these last two weeks, we finally have had movement since the since we turned over to the new year. Uh, we talked go. about Gene Segura last week with his signing, his two-year deal with the third-year option. But since then, uh, the Marlins traded shortstop Miguel Rojas to the Los Angeles Dodgers for infielder project prospect Jacob Amaya. They have agreed to terms with veteran pitcher Johnny Cueto. That deal is not official yet, but is expected to be by the end of the week, and we're expected to be able to meet with Cueto at the ballpark at some point this week. And those are the main two things that have happened to this point. They've also had, now that they have Cueto at the starting pitching side, they are figuring out how to get another bat. They ideally want to get at least one more, and that's probably going to come through the trade market. Having Cueto will allow them to sort of play with their pitching depth without having to basically compromise their depth. But we'll get to that in a minute. I want to start off today, especially since he was one of the main voices of this team over these last few years. I want to start with the Miguel Rojas news. Because, again, Miguel Rojas was heading into the last year of his deal. Uh, it was sort of expected that he would get traded at some point this year, whether it was at the deadline or what I thought, if he was going to get traded before the season, I thought he was going to be packaged with someone, say a Pablo Lopez or a Trevor Rogers for one of the big bats, and I say big bat by Marlins standards, to be able to be that little extra incentive to to get a big deal done. I did not expect a one-for-one one with a prospect, but the Marlins ultimately decided that once they signed Gene Segura, that they had what they needed in their infield to do a move that they feel could help them toward the back half of the season. Amayo is a top 15 prospect in the organization for the Marlins now, and played basically all of last year in AAA, so the team feels like Amaya could be a factor toward the end of the season and potentially be that long-term role in shortstop from 2024 and beyond. But even with that, you look at what Miguel Rojas brought to this team, 
Obviously, we see the on-the-field stuff, the gold glove caliber defense, and the bat outside of the end of last season. But what he brought in that clubhouse, he was basically their team captain the last four years. And he was that vocal presence. He was the voice of the team. And once you remove him, it's now you need to find somebody not only to replace him at shortstop on the field, but you need to figure out who that voice is going to be in that clubhouse where you have a lot of veteran guys, but not vocal veterans. And you have some vocal guys who are on the younger side, but still haven't fully proven themselves to establish that captain vocal voice of the team role. So that's a dynamic the Marlins are going to have to figure out as they go through spring training and figure out how they manage that side of the situation as well. Yeah. I mean, it's been, you had Martin Prado for a while and then Miggy kind of, it was like pass the baton to Miggy to be that guy. And yeah, this is, there are some veterans on this team. The The thing with, with that is just, like you said, it's so some of the veterans that are there, it's so transitory because you don't know how long they're going to really be there. And so it's like, do you, who, who, beca- I mean, maybe was the longest tenure in eight years. Eight years. That's unheard of on, on this franchise, but even not eight, let's say, is there a few years that you know a guy's going to be there? That's the whole thing with this franchise. Like you don't know who's going to be there for a while. And yes, I know in baseball, you don't stay, rarely do you stay with a team a long, long time, unless maybe you're a superstar and locked in. But this team doesn't really have guys that stay longer than two, three years most of the time, too. So who is that? Who's the new? That's a very good question. And it's something that realistically looking at this team, they're going to take a lot of lumps because this is still a team in in the roughest division in baseball, probably still. And still in, in the building phase that they're perpetually in. But they're going to be losses and they're going to be frustrating losses. So who's the guy that keeps it together and keeps the effort going, keeps them at least on that, you know, mindset where you don't start going on your own and thinking about, you know, and, and, and it's me and no, like that's still keeping that as a team together. Maybe it's, maybe it comes from up top. Maybe it's Skip Schumacher, you know, yeah. and, but, but he's a new, he's the new guy in class too. You know, he's installing his ways and his personality and so on and so forth. So it's it's a very interesting dynamic to see how that clubhouse is going to look because, uh, you know, I think it's going to be it, it's going to be different. I don't know what shape it's going to take, but it's definitely going to take the different of uh, 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 a noticeably different feel than it has over several years, because I think you had that consistency that went from Prado to Rojas when it came to that, like who the leaders were in that clubhouse before so and then you know a lot to unpack there then going back to just miggy himself you know like again we can't say enough we've gushed about him here for good reason what a good quality person forget about baseball player but quality person he's been and 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 to stick with the franchise through one of its roughest patches really like that that shows you the character too because you know he's and I don't mean that meaning like just the job and being signed to the team. I mean, like being the guy that went out there in the community and, you know, became the the face of the team, really. Like he was the, he was the ambassador of the Marlins. Like he didn't have to do that, but he took that role. You know what I mean? And and that's, I think, the value. And, and, and personal note, yes, I wish him the best. I'm, I'm 
when I saw who they were trading him to, I was very happy for him because not just going back to your roots, which I just did about a year ago. I know that a little bit of that feeling, um, but for him, a chance to be on a contender, yeah. and 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 I'm very happy for that. And you know, not to say you're rooting for the Dodgers, but it won't be too bad if at the end of the day, if LAD is up on that World Series uh, scoreboard at the end of the year. I don't think we'll be that upset about it because we'll know like that means that means Biggie's got a shot at a ring. So that's that's one thing that I hope for his sake, he gets a chance to at least play that meaningful baseball that he hasn't been able to, you know, outside of like the one, you know, short season uh, during his tenure with the Marlins. Yeah, I got to echo you on that. I mean, I still go back to spring training 2019, right when I was just breaking in on the beat. Miggy was the first guy I did a one on one interview with and. At the end of it, after we talked, I think it was about 15 minutes ago, he looked at me and went, yeah, let me know whatever you need. I'm here and all that. And this was before. This is when Prado was still here. Prado was still the main vocal guy. And it was Miggy was still coming into his own. And he was still – he wasn't even guaranteed to start in shortstop job at that point. He was still competing with JT Riddle for that, and that during that spring training. And you yeah. could just – you could see the glimpses starting to come out at that point of him, of where he was going – Again, in terms of that becoming a veteran, becoming that vocal guy. And from the four years I've been on the beat, he kept true to his word. Throughout those four years, he became that guy. He was the one who basically all the newcomers, when they got up here, was able to, they were able to lean on as to figure out just how to find their way in the big leagues, how to, what they need to do away from the field, in addition to how to get ready for, to be a big leaguer on game day. But, right. I wish Miggy nothing but the best out there in LA. And if it comes down to a big play, we know he's probably going to be that seventh, eighth, ninth inning defensive replacement. The ball is more than likely going to find him. Well, we, wherever. We will, yeah. yeah. Not only that, and, and even in the lineup too. I mean, obviously he's going to a lineup with a lot more firepower, but that's going to allow him to hit ninth potentially. That's why at least some people have been projecting him where he's going to be. We saw what he could do at the bottom of the lineup. You yeah. know, that's perfect. I mean, it's a, he's that, he's that guy that could flip the lineup. And keep innings going and that sort of thing. So if he's healthy, it's a good, he's a solid uh, role player uh, addition to a loaded squad like that. So it'll be interesting to see. I hope he's, I hope he stays durable. I hope he stays healthy. Hopefully he got over, you know, the little nicks that he had last year and gets and is able to, for the most part, stay healthy throughout the season. And again, you know, like you said, I, I got to know him from early on in his career got to do a nice story on him in the beginning and then later on the 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 chance that i had to get to know his mom rest in peace um you know and, and i'll never forget that trip to chicago and you know kind of spending time with her developed a good friendship in in her final years there um so again to him and his family i'm, I'm excited for his chance to to go on and and do something big um you know for in, in this next season and you know we'll see how long he's over there in l.a yeah, and now to shift back to the Marlins and how the trade impacts them, Marlins now to figure out how they want to do their infield because when they signed Gene Segura, the initial thought process was Miguel Rojas at shortstop, Jazz stays at second, Gene Segura at third, Wendell sort of that, Wendell and Burry basically lefty and righty roving infielders filling in on off days and whatnot. Now that Miggy's gone, it's looking like they're going to just insert Joey Wendell to be the primary shortstop and keep that other, the rest of that plane in place. Chad's at second, Segura at third, Birdie as, again, that rotating utility option. 
and then throwing in one of the other prospects they have, either Jordan Groshans or Xavier Xavier Edwards, who they got from the Rays back in November, or potentially down the road, Jacob Amaya. And then, of course, the fact that Wendell can play all three of those spots. Segura can play all three of those spots. Jazz can play second or short. If they decide they want to shake things up, they have the options to basically move the pieces around. But it's looking like, at least to start the year, they want to keep Jazz at second because he played relatively well there when they've given them the extended playing time there over the last two years. And then Wendell and Segura keep that left side of the infield with two of your more higher-end defenders. Wendell was... He only played about 200 or so innings at shortstop last year, but he still had six defensive runs saved. He showed that he could play there. It'll be interesting to see how he does there in a more extended role. And same with Segura, who has primarily been a middle infielder in his career, but has said that he's comfortable with third. He's basically been repping there throughout the offseason. And that's going to be how he handles third. will probably be one more deciding factors on how that infield defense looks. Let's see. I mean, it again, I think that's where just expect it to be, you know, a lot of moving around again, you know, like, like, you know, like, well, let's say position, maybe not positionless, but you know what I mean? Like positionless baseball to a sense to a certain degree because you're going to have these guys moving around. I mean, where they're listed, they're all kind of out of their natural position, sort of, you know, to a point. They're all like, you know, with Jazz really probably should be the shortstop. You know, Segura's not really like at third, like you said, what you just said about Wendell not really being primarily a shortstop, but they're just going to move him around and it's going to be mix and match and put them in where they best feel on that day. They make the the biggest contributions and more importantly, too, it's the bats. It's the bats. Can this lineup not be as brutal as it was last year? Can those guys contribute? Can they, you know, produce runs? Can they, healthy? That, can, can they, they stay, stay healthy? healthy primarily? I mean, yeah. I mean, that's a question for any team, but you know, you can't you can't fall back on that as a crutch too if injuries start piling up because they happen all over the league. Different teams, we've had teams that that, that have success in spite of injuries. So that that's gonna happen. But it's depth and versatility. Versatility, yes. They I think they have that for sure. Do they have enough depth though? Because the other names you said are guys that are just starting their careers for the most part. So you're going to lean on that to be the second wave. If injuries start piling up, we saw how that went last season. So that's where it could get a little scary. And then, but again, I think that dynamic with how the clubhouse is going to be handled. Again, you have, you have some interesting uh, topics to look at going into the season in the sense of, let's see how different, what a different shape this team takes. Yeah. And then one area where they do have depth and got a little bit more of it or will be getting more of it once it becomes official, they're starting pitching. They added Johnny Cueto. Uh, He's set to make $8.5 million this year and has a club option for 2024 for $10.5 million with a $2.5 million buyout if the option is not enacted. And Cueto turns 37 on February 15th, the day before pitchers and catchers report. We're a month away from pitchers and catchers reporting in Jupiter and spring training beginning in earnest. Uh, And just the quick look at Cueto, two-time All-Star, 2015 World Series winner with the Kansas City Royals, uh, 3.44 ERA in his career going into year 16. Uh, And last year, 25 games, 158 in the third innings pitched with the Chicago White Sox, 3.35 ERA, 102 Ks against 33 walks in 25 outings. That include a complete game. And that was sort of a 
turning point for to an upward trajectory for Cueto because his last few years have been mired by injuries. It was his first year with at least 150 innings since 2016, which was the final year of three consecutive runs of at least 200 innings. Uh, had Tommy John surgery, I think it was back in 2019. But with Cueto's addition, that gives the Marlins theoretically seven guys for your starting rotation options as of right now when you think when you factor in Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, Edward Cabrera, Trevor Rogers, uh, Jesus Lazardo, Braxton Garrett, and Cueto. So you got seven guys theoretically for five spots, which is something you're gonna need, especially when you look at the Marlins outside of Cueto, still a very young pitching staff. Everybody not named Sandy Alcantara and Pablo Lopez dealt with injuries last year. And we know about Pablo's injury history prior to last year when he made every start. So whether they decide to keep all seven or and have it as a couple guys, a couple of the younger guys starting in AAA, and you have a quality depth that already has and they'll be experienced in AAA, or you use the use the Coyo signing to say, hey, we're they're going to try to dangle either Pablo, Trevor, or Cabrera to get a bat. And this way you still have a sixth guy as an option. That's it, the value. Yeah. Yeah. You have the value either way, whether it's keeping the yeah. pitching depth or being able to swing a trade and know that you're not completely compromising your top group. Well, well, listen, th- this franchise still needs several steps to get to where it wants to get to. So I think that's the biggest value. And you wrote that when it happened, how the flexibility that, that, that now they might have, um, where you could move, you know, any one of those guys that you, that you talked about, you could move one of them if you if you can now because you might now you can afford to, assuming thirty seven year old Johnny Cueto is more like thirty six year old Johnny Cueto and not the three years prior Johnny Cueto and getting hurt and not durable and that sort of thing and that's a that's the risk you're taking with this signing too, but let's say it does pan out, yes, I think that. We've said it to death how much this team needs to add pieces on on the offensive side. So yes, this I think that's where it creates an opening where now you move the pieces around. And you say, okay, maybe now it doesn't hurt as bad if we move one of the other arms and get something in return to balance this out a little bit better. So that that's still I think to me at the end of the day when you're looking big picture, that's the benefit of this move potentially if it works out. Yeah, and it also could just be a potential stopgap for a guy like Gary Perez, depending on how well he progresses, how quickly he moves up. Yeah. Could just be a holdover until they feel Gary's ready and gives them yeah, another option. And right. then you still have Max Meyer, who's out next year with Tommy John. You got Jake Eater, who they're hoping can rebound from his Tommy John surgery. He should be full go once spring starts. And right. then whatever, whatever the heck happens with Sixto Sanchez, who is still on this roster and – hasn't done anything over the last two years. And it's just a matter of when does a decision have to be made with him? Uh, I got to talk with Nick Fortes over the weekend. He said he's caught, he caught a six of Sanchez bullpen the other day. He looked fluid and loose were the two words that Fortes used. It's a positive sign. Let's see if it translates to actual game settings once spring starts, but at some point or another, the Marlins are going to have to figure out what they're doing with six though, or if, He's going to be a viable option in whatever role it is, whether it's in the rotation as a reliever. If they can find some way to find some sort of value out of him, they 
time's running out to figure out what they're going to be able to do with him. Yeah. Call me in March if he's on the mound and he's pitching okay and, and he's building up and he's progressing and all of that. You know, I, I if I had a nickel for every time I saw tweets from you guys saying he was throwing from 45 feet and 60 and then back to 40 and, and all that last year, you know, like like we want it, we want hopefully he gets true progress this year because I like that kid a lot. I like it from the time they got him. It's a shame that the injury happened the way it did. And now you just hope you can get some semblance of the picture you had during that shortened season, you know, that and go forward from there. But yeah, hopefully I, I say it, I'm saying it like that, but, it, but it's true. I mean, I think, I think once I'm waiting for March, waiting for March and then April after that and little by little, then I'll be, you know, he can look as fluid as he wants in just a little, you know, sim, whatever it was, you know, a little throwing session, a little pitching session there. But when, when he's actually building up and progressing and has no setbacks, then it'll be like, cross your fingers. Okay, good. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And then on that note, we've talked about what they have acquired and now what they still need to address. And as we've talked, as we touched on, ideally at least one more bat and the two main areas where it would look you would look to pursue things are either at first base or in the outfield because they have like 17 infielders it feels like on this 40-man roster <laughs> that they feel like again they have the three yeah. regulars and then everybody else who they're trying to figure out is the backups at right first base you have gary cooper and that's where the list ends right and now. gary cooper yeah because right now their top two backup options according to general manager kim ang are Nick Fortes, who is one of your two primary catchers, who hasn't regularly played first base since his college days at Ole Miss, or Gerard Encarnacion, who is primarily a corner outfielder, who has played some some first base in the minors the last couple seasons and played there at winter ball, but is still not a primary true first baseman. So, well, go ahead. Because you gave up on Lewin Diaz and sent him into, into the twilight zone where he can't stop getting DFA'd. You know, you, no, you know that, he, no, he cannot. I mean, I think we're at what five DFAs over the last month, including twice by the Orioles. The yeah. Orioles picked him up two separate times. Yeah. So you're wondering why you have no first baseman. I mean, now the now the poor kid can't land anywhere now, apparently. But I don't know. Gamble because again, not the sturdiest, uh, not the most durable either. Your your one and only option there right now. And then again, you're some of the other guys you mentioned, like Gerard. Again, it's it's the it's always the project. It's always the experiment, like, like risks again, especially at that spot. But we'll see. Yeah, no, and this is another impact from the Rojas trade because Rojas could have been a backup first baseman and been the guy to slide over there on days when needed. Too. Yeah, which so, he did. Yeah, that's another guy too. But we'll see. Yeah, <laughs> yep, and then with the outfield. Uh, the way it's looking based off of who they have right now, which again, they haven't brought in anybody. So obviously El Garcia and right, De La Cruz and Jesus Sanchez between center and left, Jorge Soler primarily is the designated hitter, especially since Cooper has to play every day at first base now, but can also slide over the left field as well. John Birdie can play in the outfield. Uh, those are your main options in the outside of the kids, Gerard, Blade, Burdick, if you give them another chance. So, if you look at between those two position groups, first base and outfield, the Marlins could potentially, there are trade options out there. They have had discussions with certain, with different teams. 
Uh, they've talked with the Red Sox about trying to get Tristan Casas, but we know that's going to take a lot to get. And the thing is, this is where I thought the Rojas trade could have gone in because they needed in, they need infield depth, especially with Trevor Story hurt, uh, and they need starting pitching. So that's where you could have tried to combo a Rojas or a Wendell with a Lopez or a Trevor to try to start the deal. But now that mm. you, tra- tra- you took Rojas out of that equation, it kind of you probably you have to figure out things to go there. And they're already having a high asking price for Casas as it was, which is completely understandable with the type of player Tristan Casas is. A couple of the other options uh, they have discussed with the Minnesota Twins, uh, both uh, outfielder Max Kepler and first baseman Luis Rice. Uh, Pablo Lopez, I believe, is the centerpiece on that one. For in terms of discussions, and then elsewhere, uh, St. Louis Cardinals could always use pitching, and they have some outfielders they could choose to dangle. Uh, switch here, D- Dylan Carlson, right hander Tyler O'Neill, lefty Lars Newtbar, especially since they have their top prospect, Jordan Walker, is an outfielder and close to being big league ready. That could be another area. And the Marlins had some pretty good success the last time they did a big trade with the Cardinals, so they could try to bounce back to that as well. I, I want Lars Newtbar. And, I, and that's mainly just because I want to say Lars Newtbar all year. Have a Lars Newtbar, please. Like, let's let's get him down here. I, I just want that name. Yeah. You wanted Tristan Casas? Guess what? They should have drafted him in 2018. Then you'd have Tristan yep. Casas. I, I I can't. I, I honestly like. I'd, if they hey, bravo if you could convince the Red Sox to get him down here, but it would surprise me from that end of it that why would the yep. Red Sox give up on him so quickly? I mean, unless I'm missing something out again, I don't cover the Red Sox. I don't know, but it would be a heck of a it'd be a heck of a steal if you could somehow create enough of a package to get him there. Because then then you're then you're good at first for a while potentially. I like that kid a lot. I thought I I still to this day I, I wish they would have that would I wish that would have been the pick uh, about to be five years ago pretty soon. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and again, uh, we'll see what goes on from there. We have, again, we're a month away from spring training, pitchers and catchers. So the schedule is pitchers and catchers who are going to be in the World Baseball Classic are reporting on the thir- February 13th. The rest of the pitchers and catchers are reporting on February 16th, and the team's first full squad workout schedule for February 21st. So we're a month away, Dre. It's One hard to believe month. that we're already here. It's it's sneaking up, and, and this spring – as you, as we all know, three little letters are going to make it even more exciting. You know what those three little letters are? They're coming to Lone Depot Park in March and uh, going to fill, going to fill that place. WBC. Oh yeah, WBC uh, baby. I am excited for that, and uh, I think that's going to be. We know it's been an event every time it's been in Miami, but this year especially having the the later rounds and the championship, but the champion to be crowned in Miami. That's awesome, man. I, I, I can't wait to see that. There, there are going to be some battles. There are going to be some battles when 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 some of those countries square off. Even in the first round, yeah. we're going to see Again, a few. N- night one, we get Dominican Republic and Venezuela. Yeah, night Can one. You ask for a better night one. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're still we're, we're we're still putting in that petition for uh, for the Sandy Pablo game, the yes. Sandy Pablo matchup. But we'll see. We'll see what the managers decide. But that'd be pretty special if they could swing it. Uh, especially in their ballpark, that'd be that'd be fun. Yep, yeah, it's gonna be fun to watch. It's gonna be great to do. We're gonna have a decent amount of 
WBC coverage leading up to everything starting there. First game in Lone Depot Park is March 11th, and it goes basically right until the end of spring training. We'll we'll be there. We'll be at both sites in Jupiter and in Miami as all this goes on. It's going to be busy time. It's going to be a fun time, uh, and we will be getting there soon. But until then, that's going to do it for this week's episode of Fish Bites. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. Thanks so much, everyone. <laughs>